Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NFL Roadshow, Monday of week two edition. Fun day yesterday, especially in the late window. What a series of games there. Three of the four decided by one score. It was a big day for me. I not only won the DFS competition we have on DirecTV's Fantasy Zone channel, which I really need to win more often because of the five of us on air that play in the contest, I'm the only one that consistently talks shit <laughs> and gets legitimately sad when I lose. So it's very important that I win with some degree of frequency, and that was not the case last year. Anyway, also yesterday, decided to officially hop on the Justin Herbert bandwagon, as in like down to join a fan club or start a fan club. Or wear Chargers gear in his honor. Because that guy is so fun to watch. Had a throw in the third on a third and 15 that was so beautiful, you guys. Arcing just over the outstretched arms of Trayvon Diggs, who also, by the way, is someone we might need to start talking about a little bit more. Landed right in the arms of Keenan Allen on the sideline. And frankly, there were a bunch of throws in that game just like that. Not, not perfect. He wasn't perfect yesterday. But he just does things that make you feel like they got their guy and Chargers fans should be optimistic about what lies ahead. I know optimism is something that Chargers fans struggle with, but you guys, he's good. So long as he's allowed to complete his attempt to make a play, by the way, though. That sack yesterday, mm, we'll talk about that in a sec. As well as that primetime game from last night, how are we ending up with the best primetime games? Just crazy good games. Anyway, lots to talk about with my guest today, former NFL linebacker, current broadcaster, Rams employee now. He does the pre-post and halftime shows for them. A guy I interviewed way back in the day when he played for San Diego State and I did sideline on one of his games. Now we come full circle as he joins the NFL Roadshow. It's Kirk Morrison. Let's break the huddle. Hurry up, let's go. Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready? Kirk, holy cow, those games yesterday. <laughs> I'm still catching my breath. I know, right? Not a great day to be a quarterback. A ton of injuries around the league, which we can get to in just a bit, but a great day to be a Raider, which you are. <laughs> what do you make of that win against the Steelers going cross country after that big emotional win against the Ravens? I think you said it right there. That's a gutsy win because of what they had to endure. You think about it, you play a Monday night game and you play five quarters. Like, let's just be real. They played, yeah. went into overtime, and the game went late into overtime. An emotional win. Uh, you lose your starting right uh, guard. He's out for the season. You use your, lose your, um, your, your Pro Bowl running back in Josh Jacobs. He's out for the game. I mean, so many things were against the Raiders, and yet they flew across the country. They went against Pittsburgh, and they didn't feel sorry for themselves, Lindsay. They went out there, and they won that game. They took that game from the Steelers. So this is one of those wins that – I think at the end of the season, you're going to go back and if the Raiders make the playoffs. You're like, we knew what kind of team this was way back in week number two. That, that's how good this win was. Well, these are the ones where you kind of look at the schedule at the beginning of the year and you go, I don't know, Ravens, Steelers, we've got a brand new offensive line. It might take them a minute to kind of get their thing together. We might start off slow, but then have reason for like, I could totally have seen a scenario where after two weeks, we were still talking about don't write them off. You know, weird circumstances if they were 0-2, but here they are. They're 2-0. and It's crazy. Yeah, I think that's what we're seeing so far in the NFL. Like, it's it's always like that. 
is teams that get off to that quick start. They win the first couple of games. And now you have to rethink what you thought about them in the preseason yes. and what you thought about them the whole offseason. You have to rethink their moves uh, in free agency, their draft picks, because you realize once the season comes, you know, Lindsay, this is a week to week business. I don't look at week 14 and week three. No, I'm looking at how do you win in week three now that week two is already over. That's what the NFL is all about. And that's what makes me rethink a lot of what I talked about or I've seen throughout the first couple of weeks. So for the Raiders, just to finish out this point, what specifically are you maybe rethinking aside from maybe how competitive they are? Because on paper, they don't look like a particularly competitive roster, right? You look right. at the wide receiver options and they touted Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs. We've been waiting for it. That was nice to see Henry Ruggs <laughs> right. go crazy yesterday in the second half. But what specifically are you looking at now and saying, okay, maybe they can be competitive because this is better than we thought. Well, they're playing defense. Let's just be honest. Like their defense was, was, was horrible last year. It was just horrendous week in and week out. Lindsay, they're actually playing defense. They're making plays defensively. They're getting interceptions. They're, you know, making the crucial downs. And what I'm seeing more importantly is that they have a consistent pass rush. I mean, Max Crosby has been outstanding. You, you almost forget that they drafted a guy in the uh, fourth overall in Cleveland Farrell because Max Crosby has been that guy who was drafted in the fourth round in that same draft. So you've kind of forgotten about what the Raiders have been able to do. Unique Ngakwe, he comes along and he's playing well. And then you just think that the, the rotation that they have, it's been a great job by Gus Bradley so far. And you can see the strides that this Raiders defense has made. And that's only given, I think, honestly, Derek Carr confidence. Like, I don't have to put it all on my shoulders. I actually have a defense that can bail me out. And now he is taking those chances, like you mentioned, and getting Edwards and getting Ruggs involved, not just throwing always to Darren Waller to tie it in. Yeah, although I think from a fantasy standpoint, people would like him to throw to him more consistently than he did yesterday. That right. Fabian Moreau stuff, like oh, we, that doesn't do us <laughs> any good. Like, please get those balls to Waller. Anyway, right. I realized that that's a fantasy football perspective and not across the board. Who else through two weeks of the season has changed your mind in the NFL? Well, I, I would have to go with Sam Darnold. I think when you look at Sam Darnold and what he's been able to do in Carolina, it, it gives you, you rethink your opinion about a player, right? Like, Lindsay, you're rethinking, like, was it really Sam Darnold or was it really just the organization? I'm the not even Jets? rethinking it. I've been saying this all along. I haven't been saying he's good. I've just been right. saying the organization was so bad that he was dealing with there in New York. We have no idea if he's good or he's bad. So I'm kind of enjoying this as well. Absolutely. But I think he's just proving to us, making us rethink the way that he's playing the quarterback position. He was a first round quarterback for a reason. And we're seeing some of those attributes come out uh, in him. And look, he's spreading the football around. He's not uh, throwing the, you know, the risky interceptions, you know, taking those chances that we saw that he did in, in, in New York. He's not doing that. Now he does have Christian McCaffrey, which you know, helps, helps out a lot. Yeah, it helps no, out but, a lot, but you know. I just did the poise that he has. I mean, that that's what's really impressed me is that he looks like a completely different quarterback. Maybe it's the, the confidence that he has. Maybe it's his head coach, uh, his offensive coordinator, whatever it may be. But he's spreading the football around. He's not just keying in on one guy. And I think that helps him a lot. Also, he's got a nice little offensive line working as well in Carolina. No one talks about their offensive line, but they've invested money into that part of it to keep him upright. He, he did look good. 
that's that's been fun to see them start off two and oh just because people were not expecting that at all and specifically weren't expecting that from Sam Darnold. And we even talked to one of their beat writers a few weeks ago and she was saying that the O line looked awful out at practice. So uh so that's nice to see that that's not playing out that way either. Now I don't know what to make of this week's game though against the Saints because the Saints looked so different in week two than they looked in week one. And there are a bunch of different directions that you could go in with that. Um, one is that they just weren't as good as they looked in week one or that the Packers were just that bad in week one, but also they've been dealing with so much adversity. They lost all these coaches because of COVID last week. They've been displaced because of the hurricane. I don't know how much of it to put on that. Well, I think you could say a lot of it is the defense of the Panthers as well. I mean, one of the the young stout defenses in the league, they went out and drafted a guy who they needed and got his first NFL interception in J.C. Horn. Right. And you think about Burns, who they drafted out of Florida State a couple of years back. He's been putting a ton of pressure on the quarterback. Hassan Reddick, another former first round pick. He had a sack. I'm looking at the defense of Carolina and what they were able to do with Jamin Swinston. They were able to frustrate him. Remember, they did not allow the deep throw. Okay, that's what Jameis, how he succeeded the week prior, you know, going against the Packers. It was those deep passes, deep over routes. The Carolina Panthers took that away and they forced Jameis and this offense to try to run the football and they just couldn't do it. And it really was something that really stood out to me because now you're in third and long situations and they really started to double and triple team guys in that red zone. And that, you know, in the middle of the field, Jameis couldn't find an open guy. And that's where he kind of reverted back to what we've seen from him when he was a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Yeah. When you say they couldn't run the ball, you're not joking. Jameis Winston was their leading rusher in that game with 19 yards on the ground. When Alvin Kamara puts up a stat line of eight rush attempts for five freaking yards. Kirk. Yeah, they could. What the heck? How do you even do that? That's insane. Well, you got to make them one dimensional. And, and, And that's what I thought Carolina did. Well, they made them one dimensional and they forced us. Hey, look, we're going to make you beat us, Jameis, but you're going to have to throw into double coverage. You're going to throw with seven guys, you know, in coverage, and you're going to have to find the open guy. Can you scan all the way through? They took Jameis off of his first read, and I think that's what teams may start to do. They're going to get him off of his first read, make him go to two, and make him go to three, force him to make the right decision, where in week one against the Packers, it was really his first read. Remember, every time that he threw, like, those touchdown passes, it was one read. It was just, I'm throwing it up. That didn't happen this week. So a great job to the Panthers and their defensive uh, strategy to just confuse Jameis Winston. Yeah, those wide receivers that they have there in New Orleans aren't going to scare anybody. Uh, They need to get Michael Thomas back ASAP. Uh, Though that's going to be a little while coming. Um, Some other guys that were hoping to see back ASAP. So Tua left with a rib injury. X-ray is negative. It's a bruised rib. Availability for the Raiders game is going to depend on pain tolerance, apparently. That game for Miami was a massive setback. The fact that they didn't put up anything. And Buffalo coming off a pretty bad week one performance. You knew that they would bounce back and that that wasn't the real Bills squad that we saw in week one. But still. Right. Still, I mean, think about uh, and look, I, I I love I preface this by saying I love Josh Allen. I think he's one of the better young quarterbacks in this league. I got him in my top 10. I'm not putting him in the top five just yet. Whoa, but 10. 
Yeah, these are my top 10 quarterbacks. My top five, you know, the Patrick Mahomes, Lamar, you know, I can throw Kyler Murray in there, Aaron Rodgers. So my top five is kind of stacked right now before. And look, five through 10 in the NFL is not bad. Derek Carr is in my five through 10, right? I mean, we're talking about there's the elites. Because look, think about it, Lindsey. Tom Brady, to me, is at the top always. And I look, I got you got to put Patrick Mahomes right there with him. But then when you start looking at three through five, what about Aaron Rodgers? You know, I got to put another MVP in there and, and Lamar Jackson because I love what he does week in and week out. And then it's like this four through six, four through seven range where I can insert a, a Josh Allen. And the only reason why I say that is because he doesn't always have to be great every single week. Those other guys, they have to be great for their teams to win. Like mm. this, to be honest. Josh Allen doesn't have to. I think his defense played really well yesterday. I also helped him out because it was a game in which it was they created turnovers defensively, and Josh Allen had a chance to relax and just turn around and hand the ball off to Singletary and Moss. Like that was that's honestly what Sean McDermott wants to do week in and week out. It just so happens that he has a quarterback that can make plays and put the team on his back. But I thought the performance on Sunday by Buffalo was more about them being the bullies getting and, and shortening the game up, just really running a football in a, on a hot day in Miami. That's how you get it done, running the football the way that they did. And, and I think that's going forward. That'll always be the game plan for them week in and week out. But you do have a quarterback that can throw it the way that he does. And all you're asking, you're at, and this is what I've always go back to my career in this, is that you're asking your quarterback to make five plays a game. Over five? A yeah, just make make five of those plays a game because overall you, you're going to have the run plays here. You have a pass play here, but I need you to be Josh Allen, special Josh Allen, at least five times. Just give me five of those plays where we're like, thank you. And then the rest of the game is fine. And I think if you look at the quarterbacks throughout the league, that, that's what you ask. I mean, I hope I'm not going all over the place here, Lindsay, but you know, watching Sunday night football and Lamar Jackson and, and the Ravens, same thing with Patrick Mahomes. They don't have to be Superman every play, but they need three or four plays that we know, hey, I need Superman to put on his cape right now. And those are the plays that change the game. And you don't get it throughout the entire game, but you just need it for those four or five plays. Lamar Jackson, you put him in your top three? No, I won't. Three, he's not five. my top three. Yeah, okay, he's, he's, he's top in five. The, yeah, he's 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 in a four to six range. You really thought this through. You've got like very specific numbers and and tiers well, that you're going because with here. It's, it's tiers, and you know, everybody's rankings are going to be different. And I, I get that, but I mean, a, a lot for me is can you put a team on your back? And Lamar can do that. Um, Patrick can do that. I mean, Tom Brady's playing out of his mind right now. You know what I mean? But I, I want to see that from Dak Prescott. I, mean, I want to see that right. from. Justin Herbert or Baker Mayfield, right? You know, there's quarterbacks that I'm that are right there on that cusp, and I want to see more of them. And look, I, I put them at I have lofty expectations for first round quarterbacks and guys yeah. who are leaders of this team. That, that that's why you play the position. A lot goes into it. I don't know if I can settle for this Justin Herbert slander. <laughs> not not today. I'm I'm a freshly minted member of a fan club here um, because so to your point about like you need five plays right from the quarterback. He gives you those. He comes up with these insane throws on third down like that third and 15 yesterday. And it's not all there. It's not perfect across the board. But I mean, the set of circumstances that he was dealing with yesterday, the, that, that one drive where they threw the touchdown to Jared Cook and then it's 
flagged for taunting and illegal shift and you take the touchdown off the board. Okay. Uh, shoot yourself in the foot. Then same drive. This one, I could not get over. Herbert drops back to make a play under pressure, throws it away because there's no play to be made, but he gets out of trouble and it's whistled dead, called it a sack. Yeah, he's in the grass. <laughs> well, he wasn't in the grass. He was standing up and the defense was pushing him backward. Right. And the ref, I understand that the ref had at a certain point, you have to protect the quarterback and just go, okay, play dead, play dead, play dead. Because we can't let you push him like 30 yards back. But you also have to sort of read the room kind of and see if he has a chance to get rid of the ball and still make the play as the quarterback. What did you think of that call? Yeah, I, I think that's one that I would have loved the official to keep the, you know, the whistle, um, you know, he, keep, keep it out of his mouth instead of putting it in his mouth. Um, and because you want, in, especially in that fourth quarter, there's a lot that can go on. Right. And my thing is this, let it play out. And you can always go back to replay if needed, or it can be challenged. But when you blow it dead, as soon as like too much can still happen, right? Just let the play play out. And then you kind of go from there after it, you know, you can huddle up, ask your other officials, Hey, what did you see? Did he, was he in the grass? Was he not? So I think that's more of it, but I think Justin Herbert, and, and this is where I look at the chargers and he makes those plays each game, but then you still have to find a way to finish. You know what I mean? Like, there's one thing when you talk about a quarterback who makes the plays week in and week out. Now he had a couple of interceptions, but still he makes the plays but yet at the end of the day, are you holding up the W or are you holding up the L? Right. But I guess my my point is, though, Kirk, like that was the drive. That was it. You know, that was that time of the game. So he kind of did make the plays, right? He did make the throw to Jared Cook. And then it's whistle. It comes back for reasons that have nothing to do to, with him. And then he does make the play in terms of getting the ball off. And then it it turns into a sack that wasn't actually a sack. So he loses ground on a really, really important drive where you need to come away with points because on the very next drive, we've got a game winning field goal happening. So I, 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 I get your point that the chargers aren't winning these games, I guess, just watching the games and watching Justin Herbert. And again, he's not perfect. I just freaking love him. Like if I'm a chargers fan and I'm not a chargers fan, I live in LA, maybe I'll become a chargers fan. I could, I could do that. Um, but he just looks like he looks like the guy, you know? Yeah, no, he is the guy. And I think just a frustrating part. And this is what happens that, um, this is how quarterbacks are critiqued, right? Like you can do all those great things, but are you winning at the end? Right. I mean, that's honestly what is happens. Is that fair? Should linebackers be critiqued that way? No, that's why I didn't play quarterback. <laughs> TJ Watt. I mean, sure, we'll pay you all the money, but where are the doves? Yeah, it's the same. I mean, think about uh -uh. it. That, that, that's what's tough about the quarterback position. I think about the, his predecessor uh, and the same spot for the Chargers. Yeah. That that was kind of what Philip Rivers' stigma was on him. Right. Mm -hmm. He would do everything possible and yet they wouldn't win. And you'd be like, is that on the quarterback or is that on the team? I feel like, though, and it might be totally unfair, and this might be me rewriting history, but my general feeling is that Philip Rivers crumbled in those situations. That he was good all game long, and then two-minute drill, and you need a big drive to win the game, and that's when he would throw an interception, or he would kind of, like, I, I didn't feel, and I don't have the numbers to back that up, but my general feeling is that he didn't come up in the clutch like that. Well, I think I would say a lot of missed field goals and fumbles and things that, that happen in a critical moment of a football game that usually would happen. And you say, how? 
after playing this great, how does that happen? Because I thought the Chargers played a great game on Sunday and they just, you know, they just didn't come away with the victory. And that's always tough when you have such good play from so many guys. Let's talk about the team that beat them. Um, the Cowboys. Is Tony Pollard better than Zeke? Are we now at that point? I, I don't want to go there just yet. Um, I think that in games that certain backs have a better feel for it. And yesterday was a more of a perimeter game because Tony Pollard, it wasn't like he was running through the, the, the tackles. He was on the outside. His speed to the outside is really what allowed, I thought, the Cowboys to be effective. But you're, you're going to go up against some other teams that need a bruiser that can go up through the middle and then break to the outside, which is what Zeke is really, really good at. Zeke is really good in between the tackles. He can get to the outside as well. But I think in the NFL, you need two running backs, especially over a 17-game season. I think the, the, the Cowboys realize they have a luxury because they can't say, well, you know what? Tony Pollard is better. Let's just go with him as our feature back. No, you have to utilize two backs and keep these guys as fresh as possible. There's going to be a lot of carries that for each of these guys throughout the season. But I think that in matchups, Tony Pollard had a great matchup yesterday in playing, getting to the outside, on the perimeter. Now, next week, it could be totally different for the Cowboys, right? It could be Zeke's matchup. But I think that it's a good problem to have if you're the Cowboys when you have two guys that can be productive in the backfield. As a linebacker, who's harder for you to defend? Well, good question. I think the perimeter guy, it's harder. But it's more of a passing situation, too. You know what I mean? It's a situation where you have to cover grass. You know, it's because it's like before that there's certain guys who come in and they're just blocking. You know, he's the blocking third down guy. He's a late check down guy. So you don't really have to worry about but when it comes to guys like Pollard and you could throw in like the Alvin Kamara's and, you know, those pass catching third down type running backs. Now I got to cover grass. I just can't stay in one spot. I'm not just locked in on him. I have to be locked in on things around me. I got to be locked in on the coverage behind me. I got to be locked in on the different levels that you have to be on as a, as a defensive player, because I don't want to get picked. I don't want to run into my other guy because those other backs force you to have to know where they're at. And they force you to have to go make plays in the open space, which we know is one of the most difficult things to do in the NFL. And talk about the get back to the quarterback injuries that we were talking about. Um, Carson Wentz has two ankle sprains. Jacob Eason struggled. Uh, when he came into the game against the Rams, yeah. you're chuckling because that's the game you were paying close attention to. Well, I was I, I a chuckled. Rams broadcaster. <laughs> I chuckled because when Jacob Eason came into the game, I was like, Jalen Ramsey, and I tweeted, I said, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald are literally smiling right now. And literally two plays later, there goes Jalen Ramsey with an interception. I mean, think about it. A guy takes his first professional snaps in the NFL against, against Aaron Donald and yeah. Jalen Ramsey. Like, <laughs> hey, good luck. How much fun was it watching that Aaron Donald, Quentin Nelson head to head? It was good. Oh, man, because we never had that opportunity before. Yeah. The last time Aaron Donald was uh, didn't play against the Colts. He had, remember held out uh, through training camp, wait on his big deal. So he wasn't ready for week one when uh, of the Sean McVay era when they played against the Colts the first time. But to watch good on good, right? When we get to practice, it's good on good, ones versus ones. But we're talking about two all pros, a guy who's probably going to be the best ever defensive player, I think, in NFL history when it's all said and done. Aaron in Donald. history. I mean, he he wins another one. There's no other person who's won four defensive player of the years. He's been a consistent pro bowler, all pro every single year. When his, I said like this, if he walked away from the NFL right now, Lindsay, look at his resume. 
like his resume right now, just if he stopped playing, I'm like, how, how is this even possible? Like some people would love to have half of his resume all the way up to this point and his full resume and just like I believe though eight years in the NFL. I mean, there's no other defensive player who has the accolades and the resume that Aaron Donald has. So just to watch him play in and play out, but go against somebody who is just as mean and is just as nasty as him. That was fun yesterday. That was fun because you saw Quentin Nelson try to utilize, uh, you know, take advantage of Aaron Donald's speed, athletic ability, and try to push him up the field, you know, and then they would run a play right behind him. So it was like a little chess match. It's, hey, I know you're trying to get up the field. We actually want you to because we're going to run right behind you. Is that the best way to attack Aaron Donald? I think so. I think you have to take away what he's good at and, and utilize that part of it. Aaron Donald's a great penetrator, so he likes to get up the field. So when he does that, what you do is try to influence him to go up the field and then try to wham him, bring in a, a, a lineman from the opposite side to just shield him. You can't block him. You shield Aaron Donald. And when you shield him, it just gives the running back that much uh, time, a little extra space and let him go have it, you know, let them go have their way. What do you make of this Rams offense with Matthew Stafford so far? You know, it's, it's been really good. It really has been. I mean, the first half, they only had three drives and yet they had points. You know, they had a touchdown and a field goal. And they go in at halftime and they feel really good about themselves. And then, you know, they had a stagnant, couple stagnant drives, right? A couple three and outs in that second half. And the game got closed due to special teams errors, um, you know, an interception by Stafford. So there were things that made it look like, whoa, this game's really, really close. But a lot of it was the Rams really hurt themselves. And what I'm seeing, Lindsay, from this Rams offense is they can score when they want to quickly. They can go on a four-play, five-play drive. Like the first drive? Yeah, like the first. They, they, they go on these quick drives. But then there's points in the game, and they did it in week one. They did it yesterday or, or Sunday, I should say. And, Lindsay, they go on 12-play drives, 10, 12. I said that to me is a guy who says, look, not only can we score quick, we can slow you down, we can execute, go four, five, six, seven plays in a row because that did scare me. When you score as quickly as they did in week one, now you're saying, is this just a big play offense? And what happens when you take away the big plays? Can you execute? And that final drive for the Rams was a 12 play, I believe, like 60 some yard drive. And they kicked the field goal to win. Yep. That was where and look, we're only in week two. I don't think anybody's offense in the NFL is 100 percent set. This is who we are for the season. But what you saw in the first couple of weeks with the Rams offense, you can definitely tell that this is probably going to be one of the better offenses in the NFL because they're only going to continue to get better and better. Yeah. And to your point, in the second quarter, they had a 16 play drive that also resulted in a field goal. The 16 one. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it, that's execution. That's the part that I was nervous about from when you score. And I think that just goes, goes back to our college background. We see these teams that score like three plays and then the defense is back out there. But when you you take really a lot of pride when you can execute fifth, you know, a 10 play, 11, 12, 13 play, that means that you're moving the football, you're picking up first downs, and you're really frustrating a defense. What about the Bears, who now have a situation on their hands in that uh, Andy Dalton, so he didn't tear his ACL, they've said that. Rappaport is reporting no damage to the MCL. They think it's just a bone bruise. 
So then we had a scene play out this morning, uh, Monday morning with Matt Nagy, who um, was asked if Andy's healthy, is he your starter? And he answered, that's something I'm not going to get into with scheme. And the reporter said, that's not scheme. And he said, of course it is. That's a hundred percent scheme. So then he leaves PR comes back in a few minutes later with a message from Matt Nagy for the reporters clarifying that Andy Dalton is the team's quarterback when he is healthy, had to clean that one up. What did he mean when he was saying that this is a scheme announcement to say whether or not Andy or Justin is their quarterback? Well, I think it's kind of gamesmanship. You, you always want to know who's a starter going into a week. And if you, and look, you're going to prepare for both, right? That's that's how defenses are going to prepare. Like Cincinnati was preparing for not only to see Andy Dalton, but they knew they were going to see Justin Fields at some point. Right now, all of a sudden, for competitive advantage, okay. If Matt Nagy comes out and says, "Well, Andy's hurt," we're probably going to go with Justin. Now the opposing defense is going to be assembled differently. Now right. we're talking about actives and inactives on Sunday. Now we're talking about how many more guys do we implement on Sunday? Do we take? So I'm all about the numbers game that people don't think the hidden stuff that we don't talk about, which is, yes, it's a 53 man roster. It's guys on a practice squad, but always remember there's only 43 guys dressing on Sunday. Well, it's technically 46. I just don't count the punter snapper right, and the kicker. Those three don't. So it's really 43 guys that teams have really to hold on Sunday to play. Now, all of a sudden, if I'm going against a Justin Fields this week, I may say, hey, coach, we may meet a little bit faster linebackers this week. We may have to dress an extra linebacker just because we're going to throw some different looks at him. If all of a sudden we find out, hey, we're only going to go up against Andy Dalton. Hey, coach, you know what? You can dress that extra offensive lineman that you think we may need, okay, against this Bears rush because we probably won't need uh, them. If we're going against Andy Dalton, let's just stick with what I got. So this is really about strategy week in and week out of how teams are assembled, who's going to be able to play, who's not able to play. It's it's honestly, people don't understand. Like It's really a lot that goes into it. Uh, all of that makes sense to me. You just said, if it's just Andy Dalton, go ahead and start an extra offensive lineman. Like that is your answer right there. <laughs> they have to start Justin Fields, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, you're like, okay, that's fine. We don't need all of the extra defenders yeah. <laughs> because it's just Andy Dalton. Well, I, I would say this. It's um, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube, right? You can't put it back. And this is where, you know, I, I give the Green Bay Packers a lot of grief, but they made it simple last year by not dressing Jordan Love. Jordan Love was not dressed because he was not the backup quarterback. And people said, well, does that mean he's not ready? They no. He's not playing this year at all. We won't even dress him. So you never have to worry about if Aaron Rodgers went down, here comes Justin, here comes uh, Jordan Love. And now you have a situation that the Bears are in. If the Bears never dress Justin Fields, we will just say, oh, okay, well, Andy Dalton's hurt. You got the backup. Are you thinking about dressing Justin Fields? Like, no, that's not our situation with him. We are going to continue to. When I found out Justin Fields was the backup, you just mentioned it earlier. How many back? How many backup quarterbacks got in yesterday on Sunday in the NFL? When you're the backup quarterback, you are one play away, mm -hmm. one falling shoe off, one helmet being dislodged, and oh, you got to go in for a play. Yep. You know what I mean? Or one hit to the back, and the guy's in the tent. He's in. And I said, well, once Justin Fields is in, 
how do you take them off the field? Right. Like, like you, you can't do that. And I think that's what's going on with Matt Nagy right now is he's like, look, I, I, I can't hold this kid back anymore. Let's just roll with the kid. And you already know he's your future. And look, the offense is going to struggle at times. It's going to look good at times. But for he the most part. He wasn't great yesterday no, after he and, came in. And he's not going to be great. And I guess it may be to Coach Nagy's point that he's probably not ready yet but we want to continue to get him more and more plays. I would throw another guy at you because we saw him play and throw a touchdown in week one. There was no Trey Lance sighting yesterday with the right. San Francisco 49ers. Now that they're, they're in a similar situation. If Garoppolo goes down, Lance is now the starter, but they didn't even, he didn't even touch the field yesterday and right. Garoppolo led his team to a victory. So it's, it's, it's a fine line that these coaches are walking with who they have as the backup and how do you integrate the young quarterback who is your future when you do have a guy who stand who's a stand-in for right now and they can more execute the offense a little better than the guy behind them. Yeah, the difference between those two situations for me is that the Niners are competitive and I I mean in terms of like, you know, a playoff squad and I don't think that the Bears are. So I think that the Even Bears after have to go to the playoffs time, last year. <laughs> No, I don't. I think that there are too many other teams in the NFC that even if they did go to the playoffs, like we saw last year, they weren't actually competitive in the playoffs. They weren't a team that was ready to go on a run. I so agree when, with that. when you're that team and it's not, I think that the Niners have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I think they have a roster that if things break the right way, they can be competitive in those situations. I don't think the bears are there. And I think that they know that. And so even if they were to luck into a playoff spot, it's not going anywhere, get him the reps, get him better. Like, you know, eight and nine or nine and eight and all of this like 17 game season math is really messing me up. I'm having to adjust my brain. I don't know how to do that, but um, anyway, I think they got to go to fields right away. And I think that the fact that he said that it was scheme related rather than saying Dalton's our starter, if he's healthy, I think that that tells us where he's going with this. And that is Justin Fields because he has said all along Matt Nagy and we've been, some of us have been upset about it. Uh, Dalton's our guy, Dalton's our guy, Dalton's our guy. Well, now he doesn't say Dalton's our guy. He says that's a scheme related thing. And now he's all like, I'm going to keep this a secret. That tells us our answer. I think does Nagy risk losing the locker room if he doesn't turn to fields just in terms of the upside and the things that I already said that he gives them their best chance to get better faster. I think what, what the, the answer to that one is only the players may know mm. in terms of what they see at practice. I mean, they have a feeling and they know there's young guys who bring you a spark and you know that it's going to take more of a team effort to win. Whereas Andy Dalton may be able to come in and command the offense a little bit better, can get guys the football when needed and then help out the defense as well. That, that's why it's always hard because when a younger guy may come in, yeah, you get, everybody's excited, a oh, young player, the fans are excited, but he may be not able to execute the offense the way that Andy can. Now, it can come over time, but I think the players, they realize and they understand it, and that's why I don't think he can lose the locker room just yet because he said, look, Andy gives us the best chance to win right now, but Justin is come along, coming along right how we like it, right? He's doing right everything that we asked of him to do. Last question for you. How did the Titans win that game against the Seahawks? Not feeling sorry for themselves. Not, not you know, being hosed earlier on a what should have been a touchdown for Julio Jones. 
uh, a mentality of their head coach of, hey, us against the world. We're the Titans against the world pretty much. And they didn't shy away from their running game. And in, in the fourth quarter, when they're down, they're behind, I mean, Ryan Tannehill just handed the ball off and said, Derrick Henry, just go do what you do. And Mm -hmm. not only did they do that in the fourth quarter, they did it in overtime and they won that football game that 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 was a culture win, Lindsay, like the the culture that Mike Vrabel, I think, permeates throughout that locker room. Hey, look, man, no one's going to be feel sorry for us. No one cares about us. It's us against the world. And you got to go take victories like that. Like you're on the road, you're the underdog. We can't just hope to win. We got to go take the win. And that's what I saw. They wouldn't took that win yesterday or Sunday from the, from the uh, Seahawks. Speaking of culture wins, that Ravens end of game, the way that they handled it, going for it on fourth, the whole back and forth, the way Harbaugh's like, Lamar, you want to go for it? I, I feel like the fact that they went for it and got it, and even if they didn't get it, I just feel like that moment right there says a lot about the culture of the Ravens, right? Like when a coach looks at his squad and he's like, I trust you, go do it. Go do what you're being paid to do and and you'll get it done. You know, I think that you can take so much more than a W back into the locker room. Well, I, the funny thing that I always said was in a Madden era, okay, the Madden era of the NFL, which I'm saying a lot of the players play Madden. Tell me what player if a coach asks him, hey, you want to go for it on fourth? What coaches, I mean, what player is going to say, no, nah, coach, I'm good. Totally. I'm all right. No, I'm no. all right, coach. No, fourth down? No, let's just punt it. No. Yeah, right. When he said it, let's hey, hey you bring up the it? kicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coach, yeah, I, I think we should punt in this situation. No way. I mean, if you if a coach asks a player, you want to go for it on fourth down, they would go for it even on their own one-yard line if they could. Trust oh, me, no. guys are all about it. So, again, uh, there was that was a culture win and had they not got the first down john harbaugh we wouldn't criticize him he would say look we had an opportunity and we put the ball in our mvp's hands to just go get us one yard two yards i would do that 100 times over and look it worked out so now he looks like a genius lamar looks like a genius but that was a big win for lamar jackson to finally finally i look I, i know some coaches on staff i know the media out there in baltimore that meant a lot to the city of Baltimore, to the city, uh, I mean, to Lamar Jackson, to everybody, because they're they're trying to create a rivalry, yet Patrick Mahomes has just been owning the Ravens, so to get that win was huge for them. Ooh, and then to bring it full circle, that was a big win for your Raiders, too. Yes, big win, big win. Ooh. They needed it. Everybody needed that. It's a big win, man. It's, it's And it's only week two. Like, they we still got 15 more games of this, right? 16 more weeks of this. So I'm just excited that, we are getting some really good games. You know what I mean? Like you mentioned that late window of games. I mean, I'm glued to, I literally had four games up on a television screen and I had them all muted. I couldn't, I couldn't listen to the audio. I'm muting because I'm watching this, watch it. Yeah. I didn't want to take anything away and to watch how they all came down literally to the fourth quarter, final seconds of a game. I mean, that's what the NFL is all about. That's why the ratings have been so crazy because of, you know, finishes that some people just didn't expect. So the Raiders beat the Ravens and the Ravens beat the Chiefs. That means that the Raiders are better than the Chiefs now, right? That's Um, what that means? It means that the Raiders are tied (laughs) for first with the Denver Broncos. That's how crazy AFC West is. The Broncos and Raiders 
were up top of the division, while the Chiefs and the and the and the Chargers are in second place. Crazy, crazy how the NFL works through two weeks. So much fun, Kirk. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Oh, Lindsay, anytime. Thank you for having me. And you can follow Kirk on Twitter at Kirk Morrison, just his name, easy to find. He also has his own podcast on the SiriusXM network called Total Coverage, available wherever you get your podcasts. A couple quick fantasy thoughts before you go, coming off the weekend. One, if you had the number one pick in your draft, well, good for you. Because only one running back has been a top 10 running back both weeks. And that's CMC who was RB1 week one, RB2 week two, just a complete and total turnover at every other spot in the top 10. Some interesting names in the top 10 this week, though, including Cordero Patterson at number four. He's available in 85% of Yahoo leagues, and he looked way more productive than Mike Davis yesterday. I think his versatility combined with Atlanta's offensive struggles so far make him a pretty good candidate to see a lot of action moving forward, particularly in the red zone where he touched the ball four times yesterday and scored twice. He's a slash on Yahoo, also RB wide receiver, which makes him even more valuable because you can play him in a ton of different spots if you have bye weeks or something like that. Think he's a waiver wire pickup worth considering. Another guy that is almost certainly available in your league is KJ Osborne of the Vikings. He's rostered in just one percent of ESPN leagues. He's a he's wide receiver nineteen on the year from a scoring standpoint. <laughs> he put up fourteen points in week one. He put up a twenty burger in week two. Yes, that offense wants to run the ball, but they haven't been able to run the ball yet. They've been throwing a ton, and they've got the Seahawks and Browns up next. I think he's a good add also. Also, cannot believe that Rondell Moore is only owned in nineteen percent of ESPN leagues. If you have watched the Cardinals play, you know this guy is everything. Bob McManaman told us that he would be a few weeks back. Just electric. And yes, there's a competition for targets there. But unless Kingsbury starts moving his wide receivers around, D-Hop is always going to take the best corner, and things will continue to be open for this guy. Go get him. Play him. Stash him. Whatever makes you feel more comfortable, just get him. Because I think we're watching a new top weapon emerge there in the desert. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Back Wednesday with a deep dive on the younger quarterbacks around the league with Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, who's been following them closely and writing a weekly column. And obviously, he had a few new names added to that young quarterback mix this week with all the injuries. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe please, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. You'll find us there. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. And I'm also on Instagram, Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. And we'll be back on Wednesday. See you then. SiriusXM Podcasts.